Welcome back to episode three of We Are TPM. You're here with uh, Kyle Teixeira and John Teixeira of Teixeira Property Management Teixeira Realty Group. And we are very excited to get uh, back into the continuation of episode two for part two of Building Your Empire. Last week, we had a great interview with the Seatons. It was just so much gold in there. And, and so I'm really anxious to talk about and kind of pick this apart. We've got the seven ways to build your empire, right, Kyle? Yep, yep. And um, yeah, we got into a lot with them last week, but we'll get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty details that everybody wants to know. Well, let's get into it. So this is really about something we talked about last week, and I talk about this a lot. It's it's about planting the tree now, right? And there's never there's a, the best time to start investing in anything is right now, right? Or as soon as you possibly can. And I really hope that what the Seatons did with our last podcast and what we talk about today, I hope inspires people to take some action and plant your tree right now. That's what so, it's all about. Time and action. It is. Absolutely. And and so that, that starts with step one in that entire process, I think some of us listening have done this and some of us haven't, and that's buying the home that you live in. Yep. Right, Kyle? I mean, like, how many people do we know? We have a property management company, so we have a lot of tenants that are out there renting from us. There is a very high percentage of our population that rents mm-hmm. for various reasons. And to take that further, it's actually owning the home you live in. Because I like to tell people, you're always buying the home you live in. It's just not always for you. You know, you're paying for somebody else's mortgage or paying them or whatever, and you either own it or you don't. So I love it. So you're paying somebody else's mortgage and helping them build wealth, aren't you? Yeah. Or you could do it for yourself. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is kind of step one. So if you've already done this, then then that's not really for you. But what about somebody who does own the home that they live in, but they're thinking about making a move to either a different city or their family is growing, so they're moving up. They'd like to move up into a bigger home. This is a great opportunity to start your real estate investing, Right. Uh, we learned that from the Seatons last week. That's exactly how they started. Yeah, and it's not it's not the starting point. It's the second step because the first step was buying that that first home. Now you're just transitioning it into an investment and investing in another one where where you go hopefully. So it it it's twofold. You know, you're getting a new home and a new location, but you're also starting your investment portfolio. In, in that industry. I wish we had our preferred lender here with us today to talk a little bit about this, but it is so much easier than people realize to buy that move up home, whether you're moving to a different city or you're just moving up into a larger home, you know, you can still get a lot of people buy their first home on a, on what we call an FHA or VA deal, right? Where they put very low money down. Cause when we're young, we just don't have the capital, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you can do that again. You can, you know, when your family gets bigger, FHA will let you go get another FHA loan. When you have, um, when you move across town and you move so many miles away from your job, they'll let you get another FHA loan. And people don't realize it's a lot easier than you think. You don't have to have 20% down to buy that next home you're moving up to. And now you've got 
you know, your primary residence you're moving into and you rent out your, your previous primary residence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even taking that a little further, the 20% down doesn't always have to be down. If it's in the current home you own, it could be 20% equity that changes that FHA to a conventional loan. So, you know, our lender's not here, so I won't get too into those details, but (laughs) it, uh, I'm sure if he listens to this, he's going to be really happy that we, uh, we got into his, his expertise, didn't we? <laughs> um, so I want to talk about something, Kyle. Like, so we're thinking about building your empire. And so it starts with buying the home you live in. Then what is the next step? Maybe you're saving for that next house. Maybe you, you don't need to move up or out, but maybe we just need to save money for that 20% down rental property that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, saving with a purpose is extremely important, isn't it? Saving towards a purpose too is, is just as important and having that goal in mind. So, and budgeting, um, using your, figuring out what you need to spend in, in, in your life, you know, and, and sticking to it. You know, that That's really where investing comes from is excess, right? It should be excess. And if you don't know what excess, what your excess is or what your excess need is, or you get a raise and that becomes your excess, then, you know, not looking at those or analyzing those things is, is the first step to saving. So that's definitely one way to look at it, Kyle. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a little bit opposite view and, and take something that I learned really young from a book uh, that goes way back. And that is the richest man in Babylon. And that book, what that book taught us was a really simple and basic truth of pay yourself first, Mm -hmm. right? No matter how much money you make, no matter where your income comes from, pay yourself first. So you take 10% of what you what you earn and put it away, right? Save it. And this is saving with a purpose, right? If you're saving toward that first rental property or you're saving to buy yourself a cash car or whatever it is you're saving for, It'll just make you feel really good about being really intentional and saving with that purpose. Pay yourself first. What do you think? I love it. I love it. I mean, you got to have a plan, whatever the plan is. And and that sounds like a great one. So don't think I've read that book though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an easy read. So if any of you, you're looking for a really easy read with some really simple, basic, uh, theories and and ideas about wealth creation, that's a great place to start. So, um, Kyle, I want to talk a little bit about 401ks. Mm. Um, I know that you've never had, you and I, you've been self-employed since day one pretty much or working with me, but, and and unfortunately your company doesn't have a 401k (laughs) that does matching, but a lot of people do. They're in the corporate world and maybe you work for a large company like, I don't know, Amazon or GM or something, and they have a 401k that they're willing to match what you put into it. Which is key. I mean, it, it, you know, I may not have a 401k, but I know all about them. You know, I talk about them with clients and, you know, I, when it comes to investing, that's a whole nother conversation. But the, the 401k matching is a huge step to your real estate investing if you want to harness it and use it to your advantage. Because one thing that 
everybody asks me about 401ks, it's, oh, it's locked retirement funds. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to get hit with a 50% penalty. I'm like, yeah, don't do that. That would be dumb. But there's a loophole to that that most people don't know is that they can transfer those funds without penalty to a title company to pay for the house. You can um, buy real estate within your 401k. Which means what? That your company just paid half your down payment on a house if you if you do it right. Well, so. you're, you're absolutely right, Kyle. And you, you, But the point, really simplifying the point here is that that company is willing to give you free money, right? If you're willing to invest in yourself, they're willing to invest in you as well. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's free money that you should should be taking advantage of to the maximum degree that your company will allow you to take advantage of it. And we're not only at the starting process with most people listening. You know, some people listening have had, you know, I've talked to clients and friends that have 401ks that aren't just starting out that are that are significantly more been mature. filled. Yeah, yeah. And, and been matched and all that. And they're considering buying their first house and they're saving up all this money. Not telling you not to save all this money, but forget what I'm about to tell you until, you know, a couple of days before you actually sign a contract, but all that money you save, keep and use your entire 401k to its max benefit to buy that first house. Cause now you have your rental properties down payment sitting in your bank account and you buy two. So, you know, it, it, it's a transfer, call it a transfer of wealth, but it's a transfer of an investment because a 401k returns good in, you know, all those years, but Real estate statistically beats 401ks. So, well, you know what? The points I want to make here, Kyle, is really that you should take advantage of matching funds, right? Mm-hmm. And use your 401. You can use your 401k to buy real estate, right? You can use those funds. You can buy real estate within within the fund itself, which helps diversify your 401k, mm-hmm. right? You don't want people are always talking about diversifying your investments and and specifically in this case, your 401k, well, you can diversify it even further into a direct piece of real estate, but you can also leverage that 401k, right? Just like we do leverage a house. If you've got a hundred thousand dollars sitting in a 401k, you can use that 401k, borrow against it if you needed to, to help build, to help raise the capital to buy real estate. So Kyle, let's get into to our, the uh, the fourth way, and that's private money. Hmm. And private money comes in so many different forms. When you use the term private money, it could mean almost anything. So let's break it down into three different types of private money. You've got hard money, which is we've used that, right, Kyle? It's oh, it's yeah. expensive. It's for really short term um, deals. So. Let's say you've got so you run across a house that needs some rehab. You you have an opportunity to get it really inexpensively compared to the value it could be at after it's all fixed up, mm-hmm. right? This is where a hard money lender comes in. They can come in, they can help you purchase that home really quickly. You don't have to put anything down. Um, now you can renovate that home and refinance it. Or 
if if you're going to flip it, you can flip it and turn a profit. But that's really what hard money is for. And that's just one way to start building your portfolio. Yeah. And you call it expensive, which is relative, you know, if relative to the plan. If it can be relatively cheap, um, but there's risks involved in hard money, like like all the private money aspects we're going to we're going to talk about, but if those risks work out and you have a solid plan of intention to, to execute it, it, it can be a, a great thing because generally hard money, like you said, needs to be used on something that comes at a lower value than the market value. You know? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's got a formula. Um, you've got to follow the formula and it is more expensive to, to, you know, the upfront expense is a little bit more on the hard money and the interest rates a little bit higher. So, which gets me into some of an, another uh, private money and that's investment lenders. There is a whole group now, almost an entire industry of, of just investment lenders that are, they're not conventional and they're not hard money. They're kind of somewhere in between. They're trying to find and create a niche and a, and a product for people that want to get into this and, and don't want to use all of their capital, right? Uh, hard money can be expensive. And, and nowadays it's hard to find a deal that, that matches that hard money loan and conventional loans take 20, 25% down. We all don't have that 20, 25% down that we need to do that. This is there's an industry there trying to give us um, something in between mm-hmm. to to help serve that need, and it's a big one. I mean, the the need is there, and you know, I, I, with all these investment lenders and hard money, they they can be they can make deals happen. They can be great resources, um, but as always, they can also take advantage and and have issues. So always do your due diligence when it Absolutely. comes to private money. Hundred percent. Kyle, what about crowdfunding? Talk a little bit about crowdfunding. Crowdfunding comes in a lot of forms and in different ways, and you could you could go down to Facebook groups of uh, you know joining a Facebook group that's crowdfunding money together to buy a specific hmm. property with a purchase, or you could go to investment partnerships, friends. Um, it, it is what it sounds like. It's funding money from a crowd of people to for a specific purpose. And there are apps, there are, you know, avenues for crowdfunding like like I'm talking about, but the the most common one is partnerships. For investments, it's partnerships between you and a couple friends that may not have twenty percent, but each individually could pile up twenty 20- Twenty percent, um, and then you go in together and you buy that that investment property for you know the same purpose. So, any step towards real estate investing, no matter if you're giving up a third to you know look to the future to get three more of your own, then it, it's a valuable one. So, so but but you mentioned this. There's a whole bunch of websites and apps that you can go to nowadays to do crowdfunding. I love that you mentioned the partnerships. That's awesome because that is a form of crowdfunding. But there's a lot of different websites that you can go to. Like everybody knows GoFundMe. That is a source of crowdfunding. You know, you're not going to use that for real estate, but there are other there are other sources very much like that out there that people can go to easily use and they can say, here's what I want to do. I want to buy one, two, three main street. Um, you know, I've got a deal in place for $80,000. How many people want in that's out there in 2021. Yeah. Or like investment management companies, kind of what one form of crowdfunding we do is, you know, take a deal and, you know, 
distribute a certain amount of shares you can buy as much as you need and when they get to 100 we buy the property so um, there's lots of forms of, of crowdfunding the fifth way to help start building your empire is using equity from your current home or homes yes, right definitely so there's really two different ways to do that and that is you can do a cash out refinance and just refinance and pull out the cash out. And depending on what state you live in, you have different laws. Like here in Texas, you can only borrow up to 75% of the value of your home. So you can only, you know, cash out so much, right? Texas. But yeah, in Texas, it's legally, it's 80 or loan to value. So um, you have to have 20% equity in there. And then anything after that, you can essentially take out um, and put in your pocket. Which, like you said, cash out refis, there's also HELOCs and home equity loans that can help you um, leverage that asset to not only help you buy more, um, but also possibly use for renovations and and all this stuff that uh, improve the value of your home. And I love it. One of the things about a HELOC that I really like is uh, two things. They're inexpensive. The interest rate on those things are usually really really cheap. And they're kind of like a credit card. You only use it when you need to. So let's say you get a HELOC, you've got $100,000 in equity in your home, and you're able to get a HELOC for, I don't know, $50,000. That's kind of like a credit card where you can use that as a down payment maybe to, to acquire another piece of property. And then when you refinance that property, you pay that HELOC off, right? It's not a long-term like, you know, you don't want to treat it like a credit card, mm-hmm. but you want to have a really intentional plan to use it as temporary funds to help acquire property and then pay it down. Yeah. And this is one of the, this is a huge reason for safety nets and buy, owning the home you live in, all this stuff that over time, um, I get people who ask me, you know, they get, there's that fear of owning the house and, and the obligation and all these things. And I, I look at it from the opposite perspective of you have an asset to borrow against in the worst case. If you want to, you, we like to talk about the best case, but an appreciating, an asset. appreciating asset, asset in the worst case, you know, you've owned that house for 10 years, something bad happens. You don't know where you're going to get the money, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you could be the person that doesn't own a home or, or did buy a home 10 years ago. Well, the person who did buy a home 10 years ago, like you said, has $100,000 in equity and can go pull 50 out. They may only need 20. Now they got an extra 30. You know, they can stable out their life within a couple of days where the other person didn't have, doesn't have any assets still to this day. They made the same amount of money, pretty much the same life decisions but they didn't invest. In, they didn't plant in the their tree. Future. Yeah. They didn't plant the tree. They didn't yeah. plant the seed, you yeah. know, and they didn't water it. <laughs> <laughs> so. I love it. So Kyle, let's get into number six. This one's kind of near and dear to my heart. And because I've been self-employed for a long time now, and that is using other business income. So I'm not talking about commingling. What I'm talking about is just being really intentional about where your business income goes. So people have a tendency when they open a business, especially if it starts to become successful and that's their sole income, to spend all their money, mm-hmm. right? They're not intentional enough about putting themselves and their family on a budget. I think back on early in my career, um, early in my real estate career, how I would get commission checks and just spend them. 
right? And they'd go, and and my wife would just pay all the bills that we needed to pay. And, you know, we weren't doing quite as well then as we are now. And it wasn't until I was able to put us on a budget and really give us a paycheck, a regular paycheck every week, that we were able to get a handle on our finances and see some excess come out of that. And that's what I want to see. For self-employed people, I really want you to, to get out of this the importance of putting yourself on a budget, your family budget, and not incorporating all of your business income into your family's budget. No, I completely agree. And I, I really think that doesn't only apply to self-employment. And that, that implies that whether you make a salary, I've, absolutely, you, know, you get paycheck, either way, um, just separation. You know, self-accountability a lot of times is, is a huge thing. It's a huge thing in, in building your empire. But it, it comes down to making self-accountability easier, you know, um, holding, holding yourself accountable to anything in life isn't, isn't, you know, a perfect world, but if that money physically goes into another account, that isn't as easy to get, get as your disposable income, you have a higher chance of successfully holding yourself accountable because you have to stare yourself in the face and be like, I'm taking money out of an account. I shouldn't <laughs> I not, it. Oh, yeah. I overspent by accident. Yep. You know, it's, it, strips your excuses away. Well, especially if you have a spouse, right? If you have a spouse or somebody Definitely. else that that you've that your funds are you're accountable to, so that's added accountability, like you said. I love it. Well, and every time you have to think about adding an expense to your life or a reoccurring one, you have to think about now more money needs to go into that account. Okay, maybe I don't need this reoccurring expense. So <laughs> it yeah. can it can definitely help. So that looks like for me, that looks like sending, sending myself a regular check and and the excess, having an intentional plan for the excess, right? Mm -hmm. So a certain percentage of that is going to go toward, you know, growing my business as it should, right? A certain percentage of that is going to go toward business expenses and, and, um, and payroll and stuff like that. But then a, a percentage of it should go towards some intentional Right. If the, if it's your goal to buy another house, whether it's your first rental property or your tenth or your fifty fourth, like in the case of the Setons, it doesn't matter. You should you should have an intention for that excess and put a certain amount away for that purpose and that purpose only. Kyle, you know. You've seen my accounts. I got accounts all over the place. They all have a different purpose, right? Mm -hmm. I, I probably drive my bankers crazy. And it drives me crazy when I have to figure out what account I'm I'm dealing with. But that's because you got to have different buckets in different pockets. Yeah, I completely agree. I've done that since, you know, since I was able to open a bank account. And I also have more than you can count. But that's intentional. You know, it's, it's I intentionally have some that I don't look at. I intentionally have, you know, money go to a place where I'm not going to touch it. Or I don't have a debit card and I don't have a checkbook. So the only way for me to touch it is to go ask a banker to touch it, right? <laughs> or, you know, the account number is given to the to people auto-drafting out of it. But otherwise, I, I I basically don't have access to that money, right? That's that's intentional. Because um, I'm not saying I'm perfect and you know you're not perfect. So yeah. no way. <laughs> looking no at way. what we actually have and all that stuff is very important to operating. So, um, And you missed one there. You gotta can't forget Uncle Sam. <laughs> Uncle Sam? Yeah, Uncle Sam wants some of that a piece of that too. Don't don't kid yourself. He does, but Uncle Sam, if you've got a job, sometimes Uncle Sam sends you a check once a year, right? And that's another way to to and we're going to get into windfalls. So, that's another way to save money. 
It is. It's it's money you weren't expecting. Nobody thinks about all year, all that stuff. And I tell my friends this all the time. If you would have taken your tax return every year that you've told me you were saving for another year, we would have had you a house already. So yep. it, it's it's it sounds simple, but then I ask, what do you use that tax return for every year? And the answer is never simple because it's you know it's whatever womb if, or, or something they don't use anymore. You know whatever they wanted at that time as a bonus, right? And right. You could take your bonus on a daily basis if you invest in yourself. So not just, it's kind of like instant gratification. You, you get it once, but you could get it all the time. So All right. So the, really the last way, and, and we're just thinking about ways to build capital to be able to acquire real estate, right? That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about when we're talking about empire building. And the last way I, uh, is really just windfalls, right? If you get windfalls, and there's several different ways you can get a windfall through inheritance, maybe lotto winnings if you're one of those lucky people, right? <laughs> Cashing in on an investment or selling a house or a business, right? Those are the, the, the most obvious ways I can think of where somebody might get a windfall. And the tendency there when you get a windfall is to go spend it, isn't it? Like on something you've wanted for quite some time to finally take that Cancun vacation or to buy that Lexus you've been looking at that you haven't been able to afford and now you can or whatever it is. And you know what? I don't begrudge anybody that. That's, you know, if you get to life where you're lucky enough or you've worked towards something, you've cashed in on something, you should take a portion of that to do some of that stuff. Absolutely. hundred percent. I don't disagree at all. I mean, you know, personal experience, vacations, you know, enjoying yourself every once in a while. There's value to experiences. that. Experiences. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you and me both put value to that, right? Yep. We don't, we're not going to lie here. I, I like to call it percentages. Um, the, the thing to talk about is percentages. Yeah. You wanted that Lexus, but if 70% of your monthly income is going towards a depreciating asset, you don't need to ask me in 20 years what happened. You know, that's your answer. That's 70% of your income going to a depreciating asset. Do you want me to tell you how to correct that? You know, <laughs> max 20, 30%. Don't make it 70%. It's very key. It's, it's really a simple answer. And it's a simple answer that, you know, isn't always simple action, but keep that percentage either realistic or what you intended it to be. Um, so how does that, so Kyle, playing and thinking about windfalls, right? If we just end up with a pile of money somehow, <laughs> right? And okay, so so I want to take a vacation and I choose to go take a vacation, but I still got a ton more of my money. What I guess what I'm saying here is if it's your goal and it's your dream to build a portfolio, make sure as much of this windfall as possible is going directly into that real estate, so that, so that A, you're building your portfolio, but also so that it's not so liquid and not so easy to get to, mm-hmm. right? You've, you've mentioned this in the past podcast, how it's kind of a forced savings, right? It is. And a lot of these things we're talking about are forced savings, but um, you know, some people are better at self-accountability than you and me, but the average person isn't. And that's who we're talking to here. We're really talking to everybody that this isn't just a savings account. It's a investment account. It, you don't call it savings because you one can't pull it out. It's not, or can't pull it out instantly like liquid cash, but it also grows like an investment account to varying degrees. 
And most investment accounts don't pay you dividends in the amount of cash flow. So there's there's additional benefits and protections and you know safety protections to it that you don't get in either an investment account or a savings account. So locking up those funds is uh, helpful to most people. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Kyle, we, with these seven ways, what we tried, what we're trying to do here is really just incite and inspire some ideas on ways that the average person, right, can get started, right? Just mm-hmm. to get started in investing in real estate. So on that, I want to, I want to talk about some takeaways, Kyle, and then I want to, I want to jump into your experience because your experience might be insightful to people as well, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the takeaways here is just cash. They say cash is king, right? But cash is the biggest obstacle that people have or use to not getting into real estate. That capital that you need, whether it's 3.5% down on an FHA deal or 20% down on a more conventional type of deal, that's always the obstacle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Yeah, it, it, people think that cash is the obstacle, that there's only one way to buy a house, that there's only one way to do any of these things. And the, the real key here, what we're really trying to say is is there's multiple ways. I mean, there is a insane amount of tools, resources, methods out there and available to most people that can help you acquire a house or can help you have or make intentional action towards building a real estate portfolio. Um, It's not an exclusive process. They aren't exclusive resources 99% of the time. Um, Part of it's knowledge. Part of it is you don't, not everybody knows about it, but Mm -hmm. knowing that they're out there, um, you know, breaking something apart into the pieces that you need and figuring out what, what can provide you those pieces. And by the time you're in, you find every piece you built it and you can go buy it. Right. Um, it's all about intention. So I love it. Intention, having the right team around you, right? That whole bit. So one of the other takeaways, Kyle, is just the fact that leveraging, if you've got to leverage your current home, if there's if there's something that you have that you can leverage in order to help you buy and acquire real estate, it's a good thing, isn't it? It is. It's one of the biggest benefits to owning real estate, owning assets that I try to tell people is you can leverage against them. And that is getting people to give you money that you can use for a purpose because you own something else, right? They're keeping it just very basic. And if you don't own anything, you generally have a hard time leveraging yourself to get money. As most people have probably seen, personal loans are probably the hardest type of loan to get a good deal on. It's it's because banks don't like uh a human being backing money. They like uh, <laughs> something of, of sellable value backing money. And, you know, that's... We call that collateral, don't we? Yep. So, so uh, I guess the point that, that I, I want to make here, though, is that if you're leveraging yourself to buy something that appreciates, it's smart. Mm-hmm. You know, leveraging yourself to buy a TV or a refrigerator or something like that that is going to drastically depreciate is not necessarily smart. It may be necessary. It may be something you have to do, but that's not the kind of leveraging that we're talking about. We're talking about intentionally going out of your way to pull your ability to leverage something to help you acquire real estate. It's like building, it's like just like acquiring a business that's going to generate income for you. Mm-hmm. And that's just a math game at making sure what you're acquiring and the appreciation of what you're acquiring at least beats 
the interest rate or the cost of whatever you're leveraging. So yep. love it. That's the mark to beat right there. So. Love it. Kyle, we started this conversation uh, talking about planting your tree. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess my final takeaway is just that, right? It's just being intentional and planting that tree as fast as possible so that you can gain the fruits from it when you want it, right? Mm-hmm. I hope that, you know, a few years down the road, I'm able to do this podcast or do my business or do whatever I want to do from where I want to do it from, right? That I've given myself, that I planted enough trees in my life, that I've given myself the ability, you know my dream, is to sit on Orange Beach, right? And doing my business, sitting on Orange Beach, Alabama, right? We've got to, and so whatever that dream is, wherever somebody's final destination is in their life, you want to be able to get there as fast as possible so you can enjoy as much of it as you can. And that requires tree planting now. Like sometimes, depending on what it is, you need to plant an orchard, right? Yeah. And it's it's not always about the final destination. It's the freedom to make, to have that freedom, decision. you know, yep. to make those decisions when you want to make them and, and have um, the freedom of decision. You know, you're not always tied to your real estate portfolio. Like people are commonly ask me as one of their... Or, present me with one of their fears. It's being tied to a location or um, the location of their portfolio. And and that's all just not true. I mean, I don't know how else to phrase it. You're not tied to your real estate. And if you are, you're, you're doing it wrong. So you can sell almost anything in 30 to 30 to 60 days. Right. And you can hire a property manager in 30 to 60 minutes and leave. So um, on your way to the plane, almost. (laughs) Planting the tree really lends itself to to your experience, right? So I wanted to to kind of dive into your investment experience a little bit because you've got a great step one, step two we've talked about here story. Mm-hmm. But what's really great about it, in my opinion, and what makes me proud as your father is that you did it at such a young age because you recognized that planting that tree earlier gets you more fruit later in life, right? Gets it gets you that fruit quicker than 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 the people around you that are your age that haven't even started. They haven't even planted the seed yet. Yeah, and that's where compound interest is talked about a lot, right? But the key to compound interest is time. It's mm. no different in this aspect. So and I'll I'll get into to my investment experience because it really hits a lot of these points. Um the main one being knowledge. I did it. I bought my first house at 20 years old. Um, I tried to hit 19, but I was only two months <laughs> off. But the point is, I bought it at 20 years old because that was my goal. My goal was to get, you know, own real estate as much real estate as I can as quickly as I could. Because the more time that's that's behind my real estate, the more money and, and more wealth it would build me. So that process actually started around when I was 16. You know, the knowledge uh, of f- some of the points I'm going to mention here wasn't necessarily there yet, but the intention was. Mm-hmm. Um, it started with 25 bucks a week um, being not just taken out of my paycheck, but the day my paycheck hit my bank account, and this, trust me, this was a varying paycheck. <laughs> um, but the day it hit my bank account, it was also withdrawal to, I'll plug a company, um, Betterment, which is just an investment um, account. It's a, 
you know, it's kind of like uh, Vanguard, that kind of stuff that most people know about. But the point is that money was leaving my account and going to a interest-bearing account with a purpose. So the purpose of that account from 16 on was my down payment on my first house. So, you know, there was times, things that happened in my life that that $25 a week did not happen every week. I had to turn it off for certain points. But when I got my tax return, when I got, call it birthday money or, or you know, random stuff, right. it went to that account. Right. Um, I intentionally made sure that the money I made at my job, whatever the job was, was the money that I used to spend and, the, you know, the rest of it got sent to that account. So moving forward, I, I'm ready to buy a house. Um, it, it's somewhat enough money in there for a normal house. And... I start shopping, all that stuff happens, but I had the knowledge of wholesale homes, of finding an off-market home, how, how lenders will do all that, and actually found a home off-market that needed some renovations, and but was a good home in a good location where I wanted to be, so I took a hard money, hard money route, which is one of these private monies that private money that we were talking about earlier. And that is getting somebody to give me up. Generally they're up to 80% of the value because this home was off market and needed work. I didn't have to do that. Um, Or it wasn't up to 80% of the after repaired value. So getting into real nitty gritty now, but the, the hard money guy gave me upfront cash to buy this home. And like you said earlier, it's expensive. And by expensive, I mean, the monthly payment is 100% interest almost. So the idea there is- It is 100%. It is 100% interest. interest only loan. Yeah. So you're trying to get this, however you use hard money, you're trying to get it refinanced refinanced as quick as possible. possible. So in order to do that, I needed the value of that home that needed work to go up. Um, And I did that by- Improving it. it. Improving it, exactly. I worked on it myself for, before I moved into it, it was actually about a month and a half, two month process of spending any waking moment I had at that house, working on it, painting it, changing the things that needed to be done, putting a good portion of the money that that I had saved up up front to the materials and everything that I needed. Um, And I didn't do that alone, but getting that, getting that part of it done gave me the ability to come to a lender and say, I need to refinance this asset I own. Um, and when you refinance an asset you own and it, they appraise it, it, it needs to be within um, that 80% loan to value if you want a conventional and avoid mortgage insurance, all that. Well, luckily it, that happened. I was able to purchase it with enough equity and, and you know potential there to where I two months later refinanced it into a normal mortgage. And that normal mortgage... Um, paid off the hard money guy, right? So now I have this house with a mortgage and um, went went the whole hard money route. And to pay off the rest of the renovations that needed to be done, I needed more money. So with with the, the way that, that deal worked out, I took that money in a HELOC. You know, another bank was able, was willing to give me the remaining, squeeze the remaining portion of that 80% hmm. out and, and give me a line of credit that I could use to renovate the home. You're so. juggling stuff around a little bit, but, but. It's a little bit of a finesse deal, I think, but. I think the important thing here, the, the, the point that you made though, was that you were able to do this at your age because you had knowledge. Mm-hmm. So you and were confidence. making these decisions uh, less out of fear 
and more out of knowledge because you were you had been working with me since you were 16 years old. You had seen um, you had seen that me and my clients and so forth do this, and we had talked a lot about this. So when the opportunity came, you had already seen it in action, so it was easier for you to make that decision, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like you can empathize a little bit with some of your friends, maybe that friends, people that you know that are your age that haven't had that experience, right? Because that's a pretty special experience that, that, that gave you that knowledge and took away that fear. What would you say to somebody else that was 20 years old that didn't have that experience to inspire them to take action? Because what you did, not everyone's going to do, right? No. So what would you say to them to inspire them to take action? And what action should they take toward step one? Well, I mean, there's a lot of answers there, but I'll tell you what I actually tell people. What I actually tell my friends to, to do step one is, you know, tell me your situation. Tell me your reasons why not, why, or what, what, what's stopping you. Let me, let's start there because I do have the knowledge and you can always find somebody with the knowledge um, to assist you down that path and go through that process. And it's like, okay, well, the only thing holding you back is this action, which is fully, you're fully capable of doing to your own admission. So take that action and I'll tell you what to do next. So the, <laughs> the first step is doing that first action, which you know rarely gets done, but it, it, which is usually what it's usually saving money. It's usually creating a separate account, something. What, what, what is that tangible action usually for somebody that age? You'd be surprised how often it's just call my lender and have a 10 minute conversation exactly. to tell him what you make so that he can send me, email me a prequel later, 10 minutes later, and then I'll shop with you tomorrow. <laughs> that that's, that's 90% of the time, the answer, um, and that step doesn't get done. You know, you just never know. But the other portion of it is the money, right? The cash, the cash up front that it takes. And I'm going to need a year to save it. And at the end of this year, I'll be ready to shop next time. But in the meantime, find me a lease, you know, and that's going to be my, my, my goal. Cause they've listened to me so many times, tell them all the reasons you shouldn't be renting, all the reasons you should be owning. Um, and you like, like I talked to you with the Seatons earlier, I tell you about that for five years and you ask it. I repeatedly have to tell people, this is the house we were talking about five years ago. Here's what it's worth. Here's what it'll cost you today. You can no longer afford that house. And now you want, now you're five years longer in your life. You want a better house than that. So, um, it's a stepping stone and the stepping stones sometimes start with putting it on the ground. So, so, so what I hear is not just about intention sometimes in that age group, it's about the fear of commitment, isn't it? Because fear they don't know, they don't know better. The fear of commitment is probably the most common thing I run into getting closer to my age group with younger people. And I don't know if that, I'm not going to say why that may be our society today. You know, it's neither here nor there, but it is a thing. It is commitment is it, it commitment in itself scares people. The, a lot of the people that I talk to. Um, so I always just sit there and tell you, it shouldn't, you know, Commitment to a wealthy future shouldn't scare you. Commitment to having assets to borrow against. Commitment to having a retirement that doesn't rely on Social Security lasting. Um, those things are commitments to good things in, in my mind. So it, it's not everybody's perspective. And it, perspective is everything. 
and time is everything in investing. So the, the, the shorter the time you, you can make the realization that commitment's what gets you further is the bigger reward you're going to get from it. I'm reminded something that my coach tells me often that, that you are only your wealth and the things that you have in life, you're only going to have as much as you perceive you are ready and willing to have. So what I mean by that is, is if you don't see yourself being a homeowner and you think that that's beyond your capability, then you're, you're not probably not going to become one, right? Mm -hmm. If real estate investing is not something that is a passion or dream of yours, and you can't picture that being a part of your future, then it's going to be more difficult for you to get there. You're almost going to have to get there by happenstance, right? And you and I both know hardly anything in this business comes about by happenstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's never just, no, it just it never just walks into your door and says, here, you know, <laughs> that, that's not how it goes. I mean, that's how some people think it might go, but uh, I'll use an example of some of our clients, right? And And taking this from what I've talked to people about, like if they... If they do own their home, they want to, they don't want to rental or real estate invest for various reasons. Like it'll be too much work, too much stress for my family. I'll have to pay a property manager. It'll be constantly trying to figure out all this stuff. It's like, well, why are you talking about paying a property manager and all the headaches of a property manager? Um, have you ever heard the term toilets and tenants? Toilets and tenants. No. Toilets and tenants. That's what <laughs> people like to use for an excuse not to do it. Yeah. Well, and then I give them the excuse, well, I have uh, clients that I haven't spoken to in six years. And th those words just came out of my mouth. Do you think that's a bad thing? No. No, it's not a bad thing. It means they're, they're six they years of appreciation. They don't want to be spoken to. Yeah, they either don't want to or they don't need to. But the point is, you have your house is appreciated six years um, worth of appreciation. I've been giving depositing cash flow into your bank account for the last six years and a statement in your email for the last six years. And there's been no questions, no comments, no concerns. But the point is... They're building wealth. Behind the scenes. You're partnering you know? with them and you're helping them build wealth because they planted a tree. Yeah. Right? Sounds like they did a lot of work, right? Um, checking their bank account and their email. But, you know, not saying that homeowners don't do a lot of work. I'm more saying that that's not just a, a, a dream possibility. It's a reality. It's reality. It's why you hire a property manager if you want to do it yourself. Those are all decisions. But the point is the the low impact commitment exists. It can be achieved. It can be acquired. Just stop telling yourself that the opposite is the only thing you're going to get because, you know, it is what you make it. I love it. So perception is everything, isn't it? So, yeah. so um, envision yourself being a homeowner, doing the things that you want to do, taking step one, taking step two, maybe even taking step three in this process that we've talked about today. You shared with us how you took step one. And that was interesting. It seemed a little complicated for some people, right? Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. I don't want anybody to walk away from this no, story doesn't. thinking that, oh my gosh, I don't even know what he's talking about, the hard money and HELOCs and all this stuff. It really doesn't need to be that complicated. But 
Tell me about step two. I, I lo- almost love step two for you more because step one definitely took some finessing, not just from you, but also took some finessing from me, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all had to work together to make you feel extremely comfortable about it. So while you were more comfortable than anybody else your age might have been, it still took a little bit of finessing. One of the things I love about taking step two that we've talked about here, which is you're moving on, you're moving up, right? In your case, you're getting married and you're ready for that next home. And what I loved about it was you did that 100% independently without fear Mm -hmm. because now you had home ownership experience behind you. You knew all the whatever pitfalls that people think that there are, you already knew which that which ones to worry about or not worry about or what have you. And so you walked through step two so fearlessly. And it was, it was really, it was kind of a, to be honest, it was a prideful moment for me. The step two has been a fun process, but before I I'll get jump back just for a second, that that step one needs to be something that y- you can afford that it, not just your dream home that you're, you're Step one should not be your dream home. Let me say that directly. It should be something that is affordable and lets you get to step two because your dream home will drown you for, you know, for the foreseeable future. So step two was a little bit of finesse too. Um, But yeah, it was moving up to what I wanted. It wasn't, you know, I'm not going to call it dream home, but it's moving up to the home. What you wanted for this stage of life. Yeah. What I wanted for this stage of life, what my wife wanted for this stage of life. um, And Part of where I bought the first home was near the college that I went to, and you know that stage of my life ended. So there was an even more reason to, 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 you know, move and make it a rental. Um, so that involved some upfront cash being put towards the old one to make it a great rental, and then, you know, acquiring step two, which is all about resources and some and knowledge and and confidence, and in that aspect, knowing about nursing 0% down um, home buyer programs that's is right. part of that, right? That's fully knowledge. That's right. Most people think that only veterans get it. Other people don't even know that veterans get that, but there are programs out there for first-time home buyers. And I know we're talking about a step two. Um, I call it a finesse because obviously I owned a home. My wife hadn't yet. Um, <laughs> it's first so, responders, right? So you yes. were able to take advantage of your wife as a nurse. You were able to take advantage of a special program for nurses. That There's programs out there for police, fire, teachers, right? That people don't even know about. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it allowed you to, to, to use your capital to finish whatever renovations you need on, on your first home so that you can get it ready to be a rental, mm-hmm. right? And whatever funds you needed to start your new home, right, on on, on that second home. Which is, is, you know, continuing on from earlier, the funds to renovate the first home to get it ready for a rental um, actually came from that HELOC, And the closing costs for the second home actually came from that HELOC. I didn't touch it when I opened it up. There was still, you know, call it credit credit availability there because unless it was being reinvested or or purposed for that home, I wasn't going to add it to the lien balance. I can go get a credit card and do that, right? That's not what you do with your asset and the liens tied to your asset. So it was, there was 
a small portion of that first asset that improved or helped me acquire the second and improve the first and is now a rental. So, so like, just like we talked about. And I refinanced it right immediately after doing that, refinanced it. 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 So now there's no HELOC. I'm not, you know, there's no credit card on that first asset, call it. Um, It's just cut and dry, fixed rate. Um, And the, uh, the other ironic part is now that I don't live there, I can look at a rent rate, not what I can afford, but what I'm collecting in rent. And I refinanced it to a 15 year. I'll own that thing by 40. I love it. I love it. I have a lot of my rentals on 15 years and it is so much fun watching that principal go down every single month, isn't it? Well, we'll have to do a whole episode about how much more you pay, 15 versus 30. So that's a math game at the end of the day. And depends on where the interest rates are now. So you're right. That is a completely different topic. Kyle, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I, I know you and I were both anxious to share your story because it's it's a rare story, isn't it? There's not a lot of of twenty year olds buying homes out there. It is, and like the Seton said last week, it's it's also a, a growing story. You know that cash flow um, isn't going into my spending account or anything. It's doing exactly what they told you most should do. It's going back toward, it's going into its own account for getting more. So, Love it. Um, Love it. When things pay for themselves and grow themselves, it's, it's what they call no-brainers, right? So. That's right. That's right. I love it. Well, good job, Kyle. I'm proud of you for doing it. I know that, I hope that your story inspires other people. You don't need to be the son of a real estate agent. You don't need to have all this knowledge. You just need to trust somebody, put somebody in your life as your partner, a great real estate agent, get some great advice from your, if, from your parents, if, if they're savvy with this kind of stuff and, and, or in your case for step two, a great property manager, just get those a lender, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Even a lender, get those people in your life. If you don't already have them in your life, please feel free to reach out to us. We can help you with all of that stuff. Uh, we can get you great referrals to people that can do just about anything that you need to take that fear out of your decisions, put knowledge on your plate so you can make great decisions and take great action, right? 100%. Get rid of the excuses because at Love the end it. of the day, they're just excuses. If you if you have them, knock them off by asking questions, getting answers, removing the excuse. And at the end of the day, the only step left is take action. Love so, it. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Good topic today. I know this was the topic we had for last week, and and our our Seton interview really correlated with this topic really well. I hope everyone enjoyed it. I hope everyone got a little bit out of today's topic, mm-hmm. and you you maybe got some ideas about how to start your own empire so that you can plant your tree or plant your third tree or your fourth tree, whatever that is. Um, keep planting trees, y'all, because there's no better way to build wealth, and and. Kevin said it last week. There's no better way to make money and give yourself the freedom that you want to give so that you can do what you want with your life, right? Yep. So, anyways. Stop um, buying depreciating assets, too. That's that's uh, Depreciating <laughs> assets like, like cars, jewelry, cars, TVs, jewelry, all that good shoes, stuff. Every- Pretty much anything but real estate depreciates, doesn't oh, I can't, it? I can't say shoes and, uh, what is it, like playing cards anymore in, in, in this climate. But yeah, no, <laughs> at least if it's an investment, it's an intention. So, so I was going to ask you for final thoughts, Kyle. It sounds like those are your final thoughts. Don't don't buy depreciating assets. That is my final thought. Don't waste thought. your money. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, my honestly, the probably the biggest and number one thing I'd like to say is is look at 
your disposable income and use percentages. Don't put 70% of your income towards a depreciating asset is where I take that a little further. <laughs> so buckets, we call them buckets, right? Around 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 our business, we use buckets. And buckets um, for is for cash you already have, not for cash you're overly spending. So. <laughs> no, I know, but understanding your buckets and understanding how much goes into what for what intention is really what you're talking about. We're, yep. the, in the old days, we called this simply budgeting. Yeah, budgeting. <laughs> nobody likes that word anymore. No, nobody <laughs> likes that word. So uh, disposable income, everybody likes, but you know that I budgeting love, equal. <laughs> I love is it. The other end of it. So. I love it. Well, I hope that this has been insightful to you guys. Thank you for sharing with us, Kyle. Thank you for be, being willing to share the details of of how a 20-year-old started started his career investing in real estate and started planting his tree. Yeah, and if you if you know me and spoken about these things, you know I'm not shy too. So, feel free ask me anytime. Love it. Reach out to us, reach out to Kyle. He, he's happy to share with you. And uh let's let's wrap this, Kyle. Any, any final thoughts? Last one is uh, we are TPM. <laughs>